Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Adam, and I uh, serve on staff here at New City. But I want to begin this morning um, just by asking you a question. And you may may be thinking, well, this is an easy answer because I don't know you. Um, But what if I invited you on a trip? What if I invited you to take a journey with me? I said, look, after church, we're going to hop in the car. We're just going to go. I don't know what the journey is going to look like. I have no idea how hard it'll be, how easy it will be, how much gas I have. So just take a trip with me. I can't promise you the journey, but what I can promise you is that the destination, oh, it'll be worth it. It'll be great. And maybe you think, well, yeah, I've seen this movie before because all movies are like this, right? Maybe it's a group of guys that get together and they take this journey and it's like people get lost, people die, things happen, but they get to where they're going to, right? Like that's how all movies work. Or maybe you're like me and you're a fan of The Walking Dead and so as you watch The Walking Dead, you're like, man, this is, this is really tough stuff. Like, I don't know how they're going to get through this. I know they're going to. They will never kill off main characters. Then they do, and then we're all heartbroken. But nevertheless, you've probably seen this movie before where it's like, man, the journey is hard, but I guarantee they're going to get to the destination because that's what the movie is. A little bit more than that, without raising your hand, I would like you to think this morning, if I was to invite you on that journey, would you go with me? Like I said, don't raise your hand because one, it might hurt my feelings, and two, I don't want you to raise your hand. But as we begin this morning, last week we we looked at Jesus, and as he called himself the gate, and you're thinking, that's really weird. Why Why would Jesus call himself the gate? I never remember reading that. And we see that Jesus is the gate because he is the one who we go through. He is the one that says, look, come to me and you will find rest. And today we're going to continue in John chapter 10, as Jesus not only talks about himself as the gate, but as a shepherd, as a shepherd. But before we dive in, I want to throw a verse up on the screen, which is really sandwiched in the middle of what we learned last week and what we're going to talk about today, and it says this, a thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. The reason I wanted to bring this to our attention today is because this is the hinge of Christianity. This is the hinge in which, if we keep going with the gate, that the gate swings open and closed. In other words, Jesus is saying, a thief has come to harm you, hurt you, kill you, destroy you. But as we just sang, he finishes it up with, I have come. The thief is no rival. The thief is no equal. The thief has nothing on what I can do. And what have I come to do? I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. And before we go any further, I don't know what you think about God. Maybe he's a buzzkill. Maybe he's someone who, you know, we talked about this last week, doesn't want me to have fun. It's certainly not a loving person. But here Jesus claims and he promises that I have come to give you life and true life, abundant life. So as we continue in John 10, I want us to be thinking about this, that man, the words that Jesus speaks, he speaks because they lead to life. If I follow the shepherd, it leads to life. And today as we continue in John 10, I just want us to walk through this passage like sheep. And I asked the the, the first service this, and no one raised their hand, but you remember in school when they would give you icebreakers? I mean, even as a junior in college, I remember doing this on syllabus day. I don't know why junior, that was the year I thought of. And they always ask you these questions where you're like, I haven't thought of this. I don't want to think of this. And they're like, okay, if you could be any animal, what animal would you be, Adam? 
I'm like, I don't, I don't know. But I never said sheep, okay? I never said sheep. I don't know why anybody would ever want to be a sheep. Am I right? Go pack, right? Who would want to be a sheep? That's what I'm saying. Greg, I'm looking at you. But nevertheless, I want us to walk through this passage today as sheep. As sheep. As someone who says, look, Jesus, you have come so that I may have life. And I believe that I am dependent on that life. And without that life, I am dead. And this is what we see in this book. That we, like sheep, follow these words, listen to these words, because we know in these words are life. So if you have your Bible, let's open up to John 10. Maybe you don't have your Bible with you today. That's okay. There's a black one in front of you or somewhere around you. And if you don't even own a Bible, please take that one home. That's our gift to you. But we are going to be in John chapter 10. And if you're using the black Bible, it'll be on page 952. I'll give you a second to turn there. So once again, verse 10, Jesus says, look, I have come so that you may have life. I am the life giver, and this is what he follows it up with, starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Spoiler alert, Jesus gives it away. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Here he says it again. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, as God knows me, and I know the Father. I lay my life down for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock with one shepherd. Like I said, this language of shepherd, okay, Jesus gives it away. He says, I'm a shepherd. But why does he use this? As we've been looking at the I am statements of Jesus, he said he's a lot of things. He's the gate. He is the light. He is the, the bread of life. But now we get to John 10, the end of it, and he says, I am a shepherd. Why would he use this? Well, I think for one, he uses this language because people would have understood it. There were shepherds in this context, and maybe, I mean, if you live in Raleigh, I don't know the last time you saw a shepherd or a sheep. It's been a while for me. But in this context, the people would have been like, okay, a shepherd, I, I see those every day. Sheep, yeah, they're annoying. They, they roam through the cities. And if you were to tell me that you were a shepherd, honestly, I would be fascinated. I'd be like, okay, do you use this little crook? Do you use a dog? What do you do? Like, that would be super cool, right? That would be a cool living. Not so in Jesus' world. You see, when Jesus says, I'm a shepherd, people do not say, oh, tell me more. That's a fascinating job. They say, shepherd? Well, the last shepherd I met was crooked. The last shepherd I met was dirty. The last shepherd I met was a total outcast. We know from reading scripture that it was not the oldest son who got the job of, if your family had sheep, shepherding the sheep. But it was always the younger son. The younger son who, it seems like he didn't have anything else better to do, so we'll give him the sheep. How do we know that? Well, in 1 Samuel, which is a book of the Old Testament, we see that Samuel is selecting a new king. God comes to Samuel and is like, look, why are you still crying for Saul, who was king? Go out. I've prepared a new king. Go get him. He's the son of Jesse. And so Samuel goes to this dude named Jesse, and he says, look, man, you got any sons? Because we're looking to anoint a new king. Well, Jesse says, yeah, I have a few sons, and he lines them up. And, and, and Samuel goes to, you know, each of them, and it's like, no, this isn't it, this isn't it, this isn't it. Look, do you have anybody else? And Jesse's like, yes, but he's out with the sheep. Should I go get him? 
It's my youngest son, David. See, this is the attitude of a shepherd. That if you had nothing better to do, you were the youngest son, you were an outcast, you were dirty. You got to control the sheep and shepherd the sheep. And so Jesse's like, yeah, I can go get David, but essentially he's just a shepherd. So we know that while shepherds were normal in this society, that they understood what the role of a shepherd was, it was not the notion that they were fascinating. This brings us to the second reason why I believe that Jesus says, I am the shepherd. Because he's making sure that he flips society's presuppositions about God on its head about the Messiah who was to come, who would not come with this open hand, but with an iron fist that was ready to rule and bring them out of the Roman government. They were like, finally, we're going to have a Messiah who will rescue us, who will be a political king, who will be a political figure and get us out of this Roman rule. And nevertheless, Jesus was a king. Jesus was royalty. But scripture tells us that he came from a no-name town and worked an ordinary job. And Jesus is telling us, quite frankly, that the kingdom of God will not advance through political power and gain, but it has come and it will go as the shepherd goes, as a lowly shepherd goes. You know that guy who was born of a virgin, because that rumor was going around. Yeah, I'm sure she was a virgin. This guy. This guy is who you're following? Nevertheless, Jesus says, look, man, I'm a shepherd. I'm a shepherd. But nothing about him said power. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't just deem himself as a shepherd, but what he says is revolutionary, and it's super important that we pick up on. He says, I am the good shepherd, and this leads us to our first point today, that Jesus is not just a shepherd, but Jesus is the good shepherd. If you've been with us these last few weeks, we've walked through the sayings of Jesus, as I said, and Jesus has said things like, I am the bread of life. I am the light. I am the gate. But here we get to this saying, and Jesus does not just say, I am the shepherd. Instead, I would like to highlight for you that Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And why does he do this? What does this signal for us? Well, first of all, I think it says his, in, his inherent character, everything about Jesus, he is laying on the table that it is good. Everything about me is good. You may not understand the words I'm saying right now, but nevertheless, I am good. There's a Greek word used here, kalos. It means noble, pure, wholehearted. Jesus is this in character. He is the good shepherd. And a central theme through the book of God is simply that Jesus is not just a good man. He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a good teacher. But simply put, he is God. John begins his whole gospel by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, saying Jesus is not just a good man. He is God. The psalmist is clear. You don't have to flip there. It'll be on the screen. The psalmist says in Psalm 107, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful, his faithful love endures forever. And then once again in Psalm 119, it says this, you are good, talking about God. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your ways. And so Jesus is bridging this gap that, look, the dude who is good, that is me. I am the good shepherd. It's who I am. But what Jesus also says is in stark contradiction to someone. He doesn't just say to say, look, this is who I am. But honestly, he's saying this to point to someone who is not good, who is not good. And from the text, we, we see who it is. 
We could read verse 12 again, and it would say this if you look at it. A hired man. The hired man, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. So the first person that Jesus is saying, this is who I am not, is the person who was hired to watch the sheep. That's totally different than someone who owned the sheep like a shepherd. What do I mean by this? Well, at night, you know, I'm about to brush you up on your sheep info, you know, I don't know. At night, all the sheep would not stay in their one flock out in a pasture. No, the shepherds would bring all their flocks into this one big community at night. And then if a shepherd was not watching them overnight, maybe they were getting sleep, whatever, you would have to hire a guy to lay at the foot of the entrance so that he could make sure nothing comes in and nothing comes out. But what would happen? Well, you have this large group of sheep, and sheep are not the fastest. Sheep can't defend themselves. And so it was a buffet for any predator that might want to come. So Jesus is picking up on this. He says, look, when all these sheep are gathered at night, there's probably a wolf coming. But if you don't invest in the flock, if you have no money or stock in the flock, why would you ever risk your life for a wolf? See, a hired hand would flee. And so Jesus says, I'm not a hired hand. I have stock in this flock. And how, man, that rhymes. Say that again. Tweet that, right? (laughs) And think back to David. When we think about someone investing in the flock, I just mentioned David in 1 Samuel. But what does he tell Goliath? He says, look, I've killed bears, I've killed wolves, I've killed much worse than you, so who are you? We know that for a shepherd to be invested in the flock, that means, hey, when a wolf comes, it's your job to kill it. It's your job to protect the flock. So it was instinct for a shepherd, but for a hired hand, it was not so. And so I begin to think, man, what do I have stock in? Like, who do I really care about? Of course, there's Emily, my wife, and then the coolest dog ever, Beans, my pug. And I'm like, I have stock in them. Like, I would protect them. But, but then I begin to think, what, what, what do other people, because, you know, not everybody has Emily, and, and not everybody has a pug, but many of you have children. And so I begin to think, okay, first of all, let me just throw this out there. I hate flying. Like, flying is awful. You can ask Emily. Like, the whole time, if we're flying anywhere, I'm like, did you hear that? Did you feel that? And what bothers me is at the beginning of flights, before we even take off, you have these stewardess who are doing their job telling us what we need to know and people are sitting there with earphones in reading something i'm like these people are telling us where our exits are like where the lines are and i'm like you might be comfortable if this thing goes down but i'm not so i want to know what's happening so i'm listening right i'm the guy that's like emily be quiet i'm trying to hear (laughs) and what do they say one of the things that they say that i've always thought i'm like man this is weird They say, look, hey, you know, they always phrase it like this. Hey, I'm not saying we're going to lose cabin pressure, but if we do, oxygen mask will fall. Don't worry, air is flowing. And if you have children, you put your mask on first and then take care of them. I'm like, why do you have to tell us that? Because what happens, parents, you are naturally invested in your children. You will naturally, the masks fall, you're like, oh, I got to get this on them. And that's not a bad thing. But what happens if you pass out? Then who's taking care of your kid? So that's why they say, look, parents, I know it's going to be just a natural reaction to put the mask on your child first, but put it on you first and then take care of your child. This is the picture that Jesus has given us, that I am invested in my flock. I'm not a hired hand. So when the wolf comes, I'm not putting my own mask on first. I'm putting your mask on. So he's speaking against the hired hand, but he's also, see, that's that's surface. We read that. We're like, yes, I, I get that. 
But then under the surface, if we understand where Jesus is speaking and who he is speaking to, he's speaking to a group of religious leaders. He's speaking to the ones who were like, man, they're in the temple all the time. They know the Bible. They know the law. They were the religious gurus, if you will. And what he's saying is, I think he's speaking against them. Because in the Old Testament, we see this declaration of the Lord that, hey, you're going to have leaders that shepherd the people, that shepherd God's people, that take care of the widow and the orphan, that take care of the poor, that feed the hungry. This is your job, leaders. But as we get to this time of Jesus and Jesus is speaking to these people, that's not happening. Jesus is speaking to a bunch of leaders who have failed in their duties. And so this is what Jesus is speaking against all those quote-unquote shepherds who have come before him and failed. And just to illustrate this, I want to turn our attention to Ezekiel 34. It'll be on the screen. Six verses in Ezekiel 34 that, that this is where we're at now with shepherds of Israel. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel writing. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Say this against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel. This is bad news, by the way. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, putting their oxygen on before they put the oxygen on the the flock. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, you wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty." They were scattered for a lack of a shepherd. They didn't have a shepherd, so they went everywhere. And became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every hill. They were scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one. There was no one searching or seeking for them. See, this declaration is against these religious leaders that Jesus is speaking in front of. And so as Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, they knew the Old Testament. And I think you could cut the tension with the knife. That gods were like, is he, is he talking about you? Or is he talking about me? Jesus is saying, look, that's not me. I am the good shepherd. And later Jesus would say things like brood of vipers. Like you snakes. You call yourself a leader. You call yourself religious. You call yourself a shepherd at one point. But nevertheless, this is where we're at. So this language that Jesus is using would certainly be understood as he was making sure that everybody listening and us reading thousands of years later, that he is not just a shepherd, but he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd who is invested in the flock. So here's the question we must ask ourselves before we go any further. Are we in the flock? Are we in this sheep pen that Jesus is talking about? Maybe we could phrase it like this. Do we follow the good shepherd? Look back to verse 14 and 15 of John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. They know me. They know me. So do we follow the good shepherd? And many times when people preach this passage, and maybe you've heard it, they talk about how dumb sheep are. You know, they're like, oh, they can't defend themselves, they're dirty, they're useless, they will literally eat each other's feces. And they talk about how bad the sheep are. And it's true, sheep are probably the dumbest animal on earth. But you know what's true about sheep, and I think it's brilliant? They follow the shepherd. 
I mean, perhaps if we think about it this way, isn't the smartest thing a defenseless, dumb animal could do would be to follow instinctively the shepherd who was leading them? You see, we learned last week that Jesus says, look, my sheep don't follow a stranger. Sheep will not follow someone who they know is not their shepherd. That's brilliant. So we can say all we want about sheep, but I think they're pretty smart. And so what we see from this is that sheep will not follow a stranger. They will follow their shepherd. And what it tells us, and this is the second thing that we see, is that we are created to follow something. We are created to follow. And if you look in your own life, maybe it's culture. Maybe it's the things where you're like, yeah, I can see in my life where like, I want to be autonomous. I want to say, no, 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 this is my life and I do what I want. Look at me. But then I'm like, man, I do have a phone in my pocket that billions of others have. And my jeans did get tighter as cultures got tighter. <laughs> and we're thinking, man, I don't look any further than culture to see, yeah, I, I guess I, I really was wired to follow something. And you know what's funny about this is that all, all, all of my childhood growing up, what did your parents tell you? Be a leader. Don't be a follower. And I don't think that's bad advice. I think there's good intentions behind that. But that's the weird thing about Christianity, right? That culture tells us, be a leader, don't be a follower. And Jesus says, no, 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 follow me. Follow me. Because you were going to have this inclination to follow whatever will lead you. But remember, the thief, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that they may have life. Jesus is saying, follow me because I am the way to life. And just like sheep, we are wired for dependence. It's just who we are. We are created to not just follow our own will, but we are created to know and follow the shepherd. What did Jesus say in verse 15? He says, look, I know the sheep. The sheep know me. How? Just as I know the Father and the Father knows me. This is salvific. This is Jesus pointing to this is not just a relationship where I am your, your shepherd leader and, and this has nothing to do with your soul. He's saying, look, I know you on such a personal level. It's just like I know the Father. And how close was Jesus to the Father? Jesus is saying, look, this is the relationship that I have with you because you are my sheep if you follow my voice. So Jesus knows us, and we were created to know him. But what does this look like? Does it go further than knowledge? Last week, we looked at the beginning of John 10, and, and as I've been saying, Jesus said that he was the gate. And the bottom line, the main takeaway that we wanted from this passage was this. When I enter the gate, when I enter through the gate, I find freedom and not restriction. That there's actually life when I enter into a gate, which is normally to let something in or let something out. It's protection. It's all this stuff. But no, when I enter the gate, I find freedom and not restriction. So as we begin to think about this, what does that mean for us? Is this a mere knowledge of that freedom? Is this a mere knowledge that, oh, I, I yes, I agree. When I enter that gate, I'll find freedom. Or rather, is it an experience of that freedom? It's an experience that says, not do I just know to go through the gate and I'll find freedom, but I am walking through the gate and I find freedom. There's this bug flying around me. I don't know if y'all see it, but I do. <laughs> what does this freedom entail? What does this freedom that we are called to experience entail? And as believers today, I believe it is the freedom to obey. It is the freedom to not just follow anything that's pulling for our attention don't just follow any shiny thing that's beckoning us to follow them. But it's the freedom that Ephesians 2 talks about where it says, look, at one point you walked in darkness. At one point you were my enemy. And verse 4 would tell us, but God, being rich in mercy, 
But God, being who he is, remember, being inherently good, saved us. And so now we have this freedom to not walk as we please, but to walk as he leads. To walk as he leads us. And so we could put it like this, to obey the good shepherd is to follow the good shepherd. To obey this guy who is claiming to be the good shepherd is to follow the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, Jesus says that he leads the sheep and they know his voice. So my call today is that if you hear his voice, follow him. If you hear his voice today, follow him. And maybe when I say that, you're thinking, okay, you're telling me to follow him. Does that mean life is great? So if I just follow the shepherd, I'll be good, right? No. We all know and we can all testify. I've been following Jesus for right under 10 years now, and life has been hard. Life has been super hard. And as a follower of Jesus, we can all testify, and we could go around the room and say, yeah, this is, this is how my life has been hard, even though I'm following the shepherd. And in Scripture, in the Bible, Jesus never promises that you're going to have an easy life, that you're going to have this life where it's like, hey, man, just follow me, and you'll be smiling the whole way. That's not true. We know it's not true. And so I raise this question to follow the good shepherd. I would have to ask you and ask myself, what kind of journey are we preparing for? What kind of journey are we preparing our souls for? Because I would be foolish to stand up here and say, look, follow the good shepherd and your life will be great. What kind of journey are we preparing ourselves for? You see, Jesus said things like, look, they hated me, they're going to hate you. These religious leaders that Jesus is calling out right now hated him. Ultimately, what Jesus said and what Jesus did got him killed. And so he's saying, look, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Later in John, he would say, hey, in this world, you will have troubles, but nevertheless, I have overcome. I keep going back to it, but the thief... In John 10, 10, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And sometimes we, we feel that. We see that. And honestly, man, the work of a shepherd, when talking about following a shepherd and what the path looks like, the work of a shepherd was hard. I mean, think about this. Leading a flock, a big group of stubborn, defenseless animals, not through just, you know, green pastures and all this stuff, but through mountains and valleys that were dangerous. Shepherds had to lead their sheep where they had to go. And here's what I mean. Here's just, like I said, some more facts about your sheep. So write this down. The first thing is this, sheep wander. Sheep wander. And what would happen is as a sheep would wander, so would others. Sheep kind of traveled in their big flock like a middle school field trip. You know where you have like a group of like six boys here and it's like if one goes, they're all going. That's how it was. So when a sheep would leave, the shepherd would have to go after that one because if he did not go after that one, three, four, five more were following. And so what a shepherd would do is as his sheep would wander, if one sheep kept wandering off, he would break their leg, he would carry them until their leg was healed, and then once their leg was healed, the sheep would never leave again. How cool is that? And maybe you're like, well, he broke his leg. That's not too cool. <laughs> but that's what a shepherd does. You know what else is really annoying about sheep? Is that they can't drink from fast-moving water. And so sheep could, you know, go days without water, hit this stream, and if there was any rapids, if it was, if it was any faster than they wanted it to be, they wouldn't drink. They're scared of it. 
And then even if you found water, the sheep still have to eat. But if it was the summertime, as we see in this context, Jesus is, is, is in a land where it was kind of dry. In the summertime, all the lush grass that used to be pastures, it would all dry up. It would, it would just be this dry, crinkling mess. And so what shepherds would have to do, because sheep have to eat, they would traverse these high mountains. They would have to go where the elevation was. And so they would have to go where the grass was still green and that was higher. And so even if you got there, let's say you actually traverse these mountains, the sheep have found water, the sheep have found grass, you still have to make them lie down. You have to make them see that this is good for them. You know how hard that journey must have been? I can't even get my dog to like take a bath. Like I, I pay someone $40 a month to give them a bath because it's just not worth it. <laughs> you know how hard it must have been for a shepherd to lead these sheep where they needed to go? But you know what's true? A good shepherd would always do it. A good shepherd would always do it. And in Psalm 23, you might be familiar with this very famous psalm. David, once again, the same David I've been talking about, has these words in Psalm 23, and they're going to be on the screen. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, not fast-moving, quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Doesn't this psalm take on a brand new meaning when we understand that David is just not writing something that feels good, but he's writing something that he has led sheep through? He's, he's, he's writing something when he can remember taking sheep through a dark valley where there were predators, where there were robbers, and leading these defenseless animals up this mountain to get where they need to go. David is specific for a reason, because these things were necessary for the sheep, green pastures, quiet waters, darkest valley. All these things are coming to David's mind. And maybe you read this and you hear those facts about sheep and you're like, oh my gosh, sheep are so finicky. They are stubborn. They are scared. They wander. They're not worth it. But Psalm 23 and John 10 are not about how bad the sheep are. It's not about how scared the sheep are. It's not about how wanderous the sheep are. It's not about how finicky they are. It's not about how annoying they are. These passages are not about the sheep, they're about the shepherd. And these passages tell us that the good shepherd will always know the sheep, will always lay his life down for the sheep, no matter how finicky, scared, fill in the blank they are. This passage is about the good shepherd. And Jesus is saying, look, that is me, I am the good shepherd. I am patient, I am gentle, I am kind. You don't like fast-moving waters? He leads me beside quiet waters. The Lord is my shepherd. And as David writes Psalm 23, he really just tells us what it looks like to be a sheep, what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. David led sheep at one point. He understands the terror in which they face. That dark valley, sheep didn't understand why we're going through this. And now even as David writes that passage, he's fleeing for his life. He thinks he's about to be killed, and yet he has hope and can write, he leads me beside quiet waters. Enemies are surrounding me, but nevertheless, he lets me lie down in green pastures. David recognized 
that to have these benefits, if you will, to have this green pasture, this quiet waters, the Lord has to be my shepherd. You see, many times we have these, these preconceived notions about God that he should be, that I should always feel his love. That if life is bad, God must be bad. That if life isn't good, God isn't good. But nevertheless, I think we kind of want some of these benefits, if you will, before we ever have the status of the Lord being our shepherd. You see, David could not claim that I lay beside quiet waters unless the Lord is leading me there. So life is hard, man. Life is awful sometimes. And maybe you read Psalm 23 just then, and you're like, yeah, that's me. I'm wandering in the dark valley. It's a dry season in my life. I have found nothing to satisfy me. And maybe you're thinking, why am I even here? Because right now, life is hard. Life isn't worth it. Life is not what Scripture promises. The only thing that I would say to you is that it will be. And I know that's like, well, what do you mean it will be? What am I supposed to do now? It will be. You see, Scripture promises that while life is hard, there is something better. There is something greater coming. There is this kingdom in which we will be welcomed into. And to further illustrate this, I want to take our attention back to Ezekiel 34. It'll be on the screen. Just as quick as Jesus and God said, woe to the shepherds, woe to the shepherds. They have screwed over my flock. That's my translation. This is the promise of Scripture. This is what Jesus says. He does not leave us. For this is what the Lord God says. Right after he says that, I myself, not someone else, I myself will search for the flock and look for them. Remember, they were scattered. Under the leadership of the Israel shepherds, they were scattered everywhere. But Jesus is saying, look, I will search for my flock and look for them. Verse 12, as a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel. In the ravines and all the inhabited places of the land, I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in good grazing place. They will feed in the rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Verse 16, don't miss this because this was us. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy and fat the, the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. The Bible tells us that like sheep, we have all wandered. We have all gone astray. But the Bible also says, as the good shepherd lays his life down, we have been brought back in. And if you are in Jesus today, you can testify that, yes, I was the lost, I was the stray, I was the injured, I was the weak. But the good news of the gospel is that despite ourselves, Jesus does something with our pain. He looks for us. And the good shepherd would come and make everything right. That is the promise and hope of the gospel. That a shepherd would come. And so as we read Ezekiel 34 and we say, man, one day a shepherd's going to come and he's going to find us. We automatically jump to John 10. And what he essentially says is, 
I'm here. The Messiah that would come, that would walk among the sheep, that would walk literally into the teeth of the wolf. What did the the passage say? That when a wolf comes, the hired hand flees, but I do not. In other words, Jesus is saying, I will deliver the final blow to the teeth of the wolf. And so how do we walk through the darkest valleys of life with, with assurance and with hope? Knowing that in confidence, he has gone before us. That he has delivered the final blow to the wolf. And I don't believe that this passage is not saying that Jesus doesn't care about your everyday life. I I believe he does. And so you might be thinking, man, my wolf is the test coming up. Fair. I I would pray for those things. Study. But the message of this is not just the everyday test, but the message here is that this wolf is once again that thief. The thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy, that is the wolf that comes. And I have dealt him the final blow. He looks at the mouth of the wolf, punches it in the mouth, and says, follow me because, look, I've defeated the wolf. That is who our good shepherd is. And the bottom line today, it's really simple, but it's what I would tell you, is that the good shepherd is leading us where we need to go. The path of the good shepherd always leads to life, guys, always leads to life. And nowhere does that say the path of the good shepherd is easy, that the good, shepherd us, it, the, the good shepherd is leading us through quiet waters at all time. But it's this assurance that he's leading us where we need to go despite what the circumstances look like. Despite what the circumstances look like. And so the gospel, simply put, is that we have nothing to prove and no one to impress. We have nothing to follow but the good shepherd. And who does the good shepherd lead? The weak the sick, the injured, the sinful. That's who Jesus has come for, the sinful. And so just in a moment, we're going to pray, and the band's going to lead us in one more song. But we're going to have people in the back that if maybe this is a new message for you, and maybe you think, whoever God is, I I can't even come close to him because I'm dirty, I'm injured, I wander off, I follow after all these things. But maybe this is the first time that you've heard that, no, Jesus actually wants you like that. Like, those are the kind of sheep he wants. Sheep who have it all together don't need a shepherd. And so in a minute, we're going to have people in the back, and as the band leads, I invite you to go back there and pray with someone. I invite you to talk to someone about this, because this is good news, guys. This is good news because we are sheep, and we are finicky, and we wander. But Jesus does whatever he needs to do to find us, and that would include dying for us. That would include looking the wolf in the mouth and taking it on so that because of what Jesus has done, we can now walk through life knowing that the good shepherd is leading us where we need to go. So in this moment, as the band is leading, you go back and talk to someone. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are the good shepherd. Thank you that you lead us even when it doesn't feel like you are. God, I thank you that among everything in life that pulls for our attention, there is someone pulling stronger. I thank you that you knock down walls, that you tear down lies, that you climb up mountains to find us. 
Lord, this is nothing that we have earned or that we deserve, but you give it to us freely because that is the gospel, the good news to sinful people. So Lord, in this moment, I pray for those who have never given their life to you, who have never said, you know what, I don't really believe in this guy and I'm not gonna follow him. I pray that today would be their day. I pray that today we would remember that, Lord, while life feels finicky now, one day we will graze in green grass. One day we will be led beside quiet waters. All because you lay your life down for the sheep. You are the good shepherd. No one else can do what you've done. Speak to hearts in this moment. Be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.